Talking with Tech is sponsored by Q Interactive, Pearson's iPad-based system for testing, scoring, and reporting. Experience unheard of efficiency and client engagement with 20 top tests, all delivered digitally. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial at pearsonclinical.com TWT18. Um, after that 30 days, if you want to go ahead and use it, call 1-800-627-7271 and give them promo code TWT18 to get 10% off the Q Interactive license. Uh, this is only good through the end of the year, December 31st, 2018, so try it now. Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Rachel Madel. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing really, really well today. I had an amazing experience today that I feel like just reminds me why I am a speech therapist, and specifically, it was an AAC experience. I did an assessment today, and this little boy is, um, he's five years old, and he hasn't had any services for two years. Um, he had some early intervention services, um, I guess, that stopped when he was about three. And he's, I'd say, basically nonverbal. Like he had some words, but no real functional communication. And he's at a school that has never had any type of interactions um, or any students that are nonverbal, um, let alone even with an IEP. It's a charter school. And I spent two hours assessing him and trying to figure out, you know, what kind of technology could really help him. By the end of our two hours together, he was hopping off the swing and coming over to me to initiate on the device. And it was like, and it was, it was perfect timing because just as I was leaving, um, this little boy was leaving and he was saying all these words. He was saying so many words. And the principal was like, wow, why is he talking so much? And I'm like, it's because AAC helps kids talk. And it's just like, it was so perfect because I couldn't have, you know, created a situation that was any better to showcase that AAC helps kids communicate verbally along with, you know, sometimes kids don't, you know, have the ability to communicate verbally, but it was just, it was such a great experience. That's so awesome. You're like a myth buster. You know, that experience, like that principal was probably like, what? I had no idea that could happen. And you just totally shine the light on it. That's fantastic. I know. It was super, super rewarding. And everybody just, there was this energy. Everybody was so excited. And they had no idea that this, you know, child was capable of all these things. It was just like, everyone was amazed. They're like, we can't believe he's like, you know, we've never seen him this interested in an iPad. We've never seen him sit and attend. I'm like, see what happens when you first first of all, believe that he is capable, right? Because I could have come in and just been like, well, let's see what PEX is all about. Or let's use, you know, maybe some low tech options, which they had had tried, but, you know, weren't being successful. And instead, I was like, I came in, and I'm like, listen, like, we're reaching for the stars here. And you know what, he rose to the challenge. Rachel, give me more specifics. What exactly did you do? How did you get that joint engagement with him? Uh, well, first of all, when I first walked in, he was having a really tough time. He didn't want to be sitting in the classroom and he was kind of running all around. He elopes a lot. And so, you know, the first thing I do when I go into an assessment is what is this child motivated by? He wanted to move and I was like, we're moving. We're moving and shaking. I don't care if it was just recess. And so we, we left the classroom. We went to the playground. We got on the swing and I just started having him say, I was like, ready, set? Because he can say, he was able to say swing and he was able to say push, um, probably because that swing is very motivating to him. And so of course I was like, what kind of core words can we do with this? And, you know, we started working on ready, set, go. And it was amazing. He was saying go by the end of it. Um, you know, and I was showing him the device and he was 
was so interested. He kept saying, go and stop and go and stop. Um, but it was just, it was a really, really great experience. When, when you say go, it, was he saying go verbally? So he was hitting it on the device. He was activating on the device and he was then imitating it. So he was, and then by the end of it, you know, I, he was still saying verbally swing and push, but he was activating it on the device and then saying go, which was so cool. You know, it just that goes to illustrate the point that if, if you're engaged and you're having fun and you're doing something that is student led, then they will do it. They will, they will produce the language. That's such an awesome story. I'm so glad you shared it. I'm so glad you got to have that experience. I know it's just like these are the the days and the moments where you just feel so lucky to do what you do right like it's just sometimes they're hard don't get me wrong I'm like some days nothing's going according to plan nothing seems to be working kids are throwing tantrums but you know these moments where there's such a high level of optimism and excitement about what a child's capable of that's why we do it right it's because you know we can give kids the tools to do all those things and it just feels like a really special gift that we have. And I just, I just love it. You know, you know, I love my analogies, right? I, oh, love me I, some analogies. I can't wait. So, I love your analogies probably more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> my, my analogy there is for anyone who plays golf, right? I haven't played golf in years, but when I go out there, I would hack away, right? And these huge divots and the ball would go off to the right or off to the left and have to yell at four. So I didn't, you know, hit somebody in the back of the head. I was like terrible at it but then you get this perfect swing right by accident even know what I was doing but bam and it hit it straight and I'd be like I am Tiger Woods you know <laughs> like that was amazing <laughs> and that's what is that, that's what it's like sometimes I think with uh, with AAC is that um you know that you can get bogged down with frustration and feel like you know geez I can't get to all the people I need to coach and I'm frustrated with uh, administration or or this parent's not doing what I wanted me to do or I feel like myself can't get to all the therapy that I want to do and then you have that perfect swing you had one today you 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 knocked it out of the park's the wrong analogy but you get the the, the impression right is that you hit it and you got a hole in one and it feels fantastic you know it does it really does and I just yeah I, I'm still like I just had to share I had to share with you guys because I feel like you guys can all relate to this and um it's just it's the best feeling it's it's what it's the driving force right it's like it makes all those kind of bad days or even mediocre days worthwhile because when you have these moments it's just it's wonderful you know what i call them? i call them the little moments of awesome right it's a little yeah. moment that was awesome and then when you have that little moment it's like you said you can't wait to go back and share it like oh my gosh i'm going to be able to talk to chris on the podcast today and all the listeners i got to share this with everybody right i feel that way about social media in general like here's this little moment of awesome like i'm i'm in a presentation or i'm working with a kid and this little thing happens and i immediately like like a perfect example would be i walk into a room and i see that they put a giant poster board up on the wall of whatever the communication app they're using and it's like, oh, I didn't tell you to do that. I didn't even give you that strategy, but yeah, you went to do it. So I'm going to post that little moment of awesome. Uh, when, when I say post it, what I mean is I'm going to take a picture of it and then I'm going to blast it out on social media. You know, for me is Twitter. Other people use other tools, right? But it's, you're sharing that little moment of awesome because it spreads the positivity. Absolutely. Well, speaking of social media, I wanted to, that leads perfectly into our interview today. Um, so Chris, I know you had an amazing interview and I'm so sad that I wasn't able to make it because this lady is so inspirational and she's a really big name in AAC. Um, so tell us a little bit about your interview today. 
so the interview today is with Dana Nieder, and you're going to hear me gush a little bit right at the beginning. I don't even let, let her talk. Like at the beginning of the interview, you're going to hear me just go on and on about how her blog and her being willing to share as a, as a parent and the experience she, she was having as a parent going through the system, uh, not necessarily the system, meaning an AAC system, but the system of getting a device, you know, what that's like. And she was brand new to it. She, she shared these experiences on her blog, and I would follow along in her blog. This is years ago, and it really was instrumental in changing my mind and my practice and really opened my eyes. I immediately shared her blog post with uh, teammates of mine so we could have open discussions about them saying, you know, this mom is feeling frustrated by people who are doing what we're doing. Are we causing more frustration? Like, that's not why we get into this gig. You know what I mean? No one, no one goes into speech therapy and go like, yes, I'm going to be rich. You know what I mean? Like you want to have a good salary, right? But no one thinks, you know, you're going to be uh, Bill Gates. You know what I mean? When you when you come out of, of the back end, you, you go in because you want to help kids and you want to help families and you want to decrease frustration. You want to help people communicate. And when I was reading her blog, I kept thinking, I'm not sure my current practices are helping. They might actually be hindering. And it was really her work, her willingness to share changed my mind. And so blogging, blogging in general is amazing if you're reading certain blogs or if you're writing your own blog, but her it specifically changed, changed me. Well, and I think anytime you can get insight from a parent, I feel like there's a lot of sharing amongst speech therapists, which is amazing. And I'm not discrediting that at all. Um, but I think that parent perspective getting a glimpse into what it's like to be a parent of a child who is an AAC user is so valuable, right? Because it's the number one thing that that I want to know about because I feel like, like you said, it shapes the way that I practice, right? And we can't understand that insight unless we have blogs like Dana's um, kind of highlighting what she liked, what she didn't like, um, what works, what's not working, what's realistic, what's unrealistic. So it's just, it's so awesome. We talk a lot about sharing and putting yourself out there on this podcast. And I think this is a, just another example of the more we share our experience experiences, it, it elevates the entire community. Um, and I think it's just such an important part of what we do. Um, I myself, I have a blog and I was talking to, to you, Chris, before, we, before we, we hopped on air about how blogging for me, it solidifies these concepts, right? So I have these ideas and they're kind of swirling around in my head and sometimes they'll like pop out during conversation, um, little bits and pieces. But when I write a blog article, it's like, like, okay, like I have to sit down, I have to organize my thoughts, um, and I have to tell a story. And I have to think about how, you know, these experiences that I'm having in my clinical practice and these kids that I'm working with, I have to think more big picture about it and figure out like kind of what have I figured out works, what doesn't work, what do I have problems with, you know, in the way that we're kind of doing things and, and some of the, the struggles. And I think that it's, it's really cool because, you know, I could do that in a journal at night on my own free time and that would be effective. But the fact that I've decided to kind of go public with that information, it's a little, it's a little daunting at first. I won't lie. The first time I published my first blog article, I thought, oh man, like now people are going to read it. Yikes. Uh, it was this like tinge of nervousness. Um, but you know, obviously over time I've had my blog for three years now, so it's I'm desensitized a little bit. Um, but all the people that you know, could potentially benefit from that. It's amazing. Um, and, you know, why not share that information? Why not share, you know, my clinical um, knowledge and experience in hopes that it will help, you know, a family or a teacher, uh, 
another SLP. So it's just really cool. The whole blogging sphere that exploded in the last five years, especially, I feel like. Um, and I just think it's a testament to everyone, everyone's sharing, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. You know, I think the word that, that really sticks out in my mind when I think of blogging is it's reflecting. We don't take enough time. I don't think any professional does, takes enough time to reflect on your own practice. So, you know, I come home and I'm frustrated because of what happened today, or I'm happy what I did today. But immediately when I walk through the door, I've got two kids, I've got a wife, I've got a whole life. And all of that stuff then swallows me up, you know, and I'm spending time with that. When you're blogging, it's explicitly taking the time to reflect on your practice. And when you do that, when you reflect, that's how it really sinks in for you to learn it. Uh, at least my, I think it happens a lot quicker when you take the time to reflect. Uh, I, guess, I suppose there's other ways you could, it, it could stick with you, but by taking the time to outline your thoughts in that way and really putting yourself out there that way, it's forcing you, it's forced self-reflection. And then, like you said, you could put it in a journal, right? But why not lead with sharing? You know, Why not put it out there for everyone else? And, and like you said, I can see people going, yeah, but then people will be critical of me. Well, like you said, you had a blog for a number of years. I've had a blog and a podcast before this one. The number of negative experiences, I could count on two fingers. You know what I mean? Like that 10 years worth of doing this stuff. And most people, the vast majority, more than 99% of people are super encouraging. You know, they're, they, they want to learn from you. They want to share their own stories back with you. So I, I always keep that in my mind lead with sharing, you know, put it out there for the world. I really love that lead with sharing. So I wanted to to touch on a little bit. How do you go about starting a blog, right? We're just like really encouraging this leading with sharing. What if I, you know, I'm an SLP and I want to start, you know, blogging. How do we go about that? And I think one of the best ways you can do that is, you know, reach out to somebody who already has a blog. Um, and you can either, you know, just have a conversation with them and say like, listen, I'm really interested. I love your work. Uh, you know, how did you get started? Um, oftentimes for people who have blogs, they're very willing and open to have you contribute. So if you want to, you know, have a guest post um, and you can share your unique experience with them, um, Practical AAC is an amazing place to um, share. And I know Carol is always looking for new perspectives and, you know, fresh content. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can start getting your name out there. Um, even something as simple as a school newsletter. Um, you know, if you're working in the schools and there's a school newsletter, you can just write a little lip about, you know, AAC or speech and language development. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be AAC specific, even that if that's what you eventually want to talk about. Um, you know, we're speech language pathologists for the most part. And I think we have a lot of really useful information to share with the community. You know, it can be as simple as five strategies to facilitate communication, or you never know, but finding ways that you can start just writing, I think is, is the first step. Absolutely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. First, just start uh, and, and write and write and then write some more, make a list of topics and keep them in a place and then keep adding to that list. Uh, you'll see that if vlogging's for you, the list will keep growing faster than you can write them. Mm -hmm. uh, pick a platform. So I know I've used WordPress in the past, um, but uh, my wife was a blog blogger for many years and she used um, Blogger, which is the Google version, which is a little bit easier to integrate like ads and things like that. At least that's been our experience of it. So pick a platform and go with it, you know, play play around with it and uh, have fun with it, you know? Um, 
You can always put your ideas down and not hit the share button. I think that's another thing you can remember. Just keep it in draft form if you want, and then eventually hit the share button. Uh, something else I think too is um, you don't necessarily have to be, especially in today's day and age, your blogs don't have to be super long, right? It could be a, a, an image and then you know a two or three two paragraphs, maybe one paragraph, you know. Uh, I know uh, a blog that I subscribed to for many years, I continue to subscribe to, is Sean Sweeney's Speech Techie blog, you know. Uh, it's kind of famous in the speech world. And his posts are relatively short because he understands now in, in today's, you know, day and age, uh, TLDR, too long, didn't read, you know. Uh, but if it's just, here's an image, uh, let me tell you about this app, here's two or three ways why I like it and how I use it, uh, good, good to go. You know, uh, it doesn't have to be uh, a what's it called? Um, war and peace. You know, you don't want it to be war and peace. You want it to be short. Yeah, and you know, I so I have a blog, and I also do video content, and so I'm I'm always thinking through the lens of like, what can I create? You know, and what kind of content do people want? And now that I kind of am thinking through that lens, as I'm going through my day-to-day -day and my practicing and I'm working with kids, it's like whenever I have this, well, two things. One, if I keep saying the same things over and over again, I'm like, let's just like make this into a blog post that I can share or a video that I can share um, almost just for an efficiency, from an efficiency standpoint. Cause it's like, okay, like I keep saying the same things over and over again. It's time to create some type of content that I could just email to somebody or text them. Um, you know, cause it means it's important, right? If we keep saying it over and over again. Um, but the other thing is when I get excited, when I'm talking about something, when I'm feeling really passionate, that's a clue that I should write it down. Uh, because that means that something inside of me is like sparking and I think that's when you write your best content is when you are super passionate and there's kind of like a, a little internal spark that has lit and I think that's when my best work comes out of me. So, so Rachel, what you're talking about there is duplicating yourself, right? If you said it three times, the fourth time you are wasting your time, you know, because if you had taken that fourth time to write up your blog post, now you can be duplicating yourself. Meaning someone right now is listening to you and me on this, on their drive or their commute, but someone else is actually spending time with you live right now in person in a therapy session or something. And then there's someone else who could be reading your blog post. You have now effectively made three Rachel Madels. You know, you've duplicated yourself. We should get shirts made up that say Rachel Madel, Rachel Madel, Rachel Madel on our shirts. We should. Maybe we'll do that at, at Asha. Maybe you'll see those shirts at Asha. Yeah, you might. And if you do, you should definitely um, yeah, tag, us on, tag us on Facebook because we might, have, we might have some really fun talking with tech shirts going around. But I, I think the concept there is that you are cloning yourself, you're duplicating yourself, you are making a copy of yourself so that you're not wasting your time. You know, it is using your time effectively, you know, that I'm going to say this to you, parent, but you're also going to need to not hear it maybe more than once. And so I'm going to send you this blog post or here's the video that I made. Here's some other content that will reinforce what I've just said to you verbally. I've often heard that too, that, um, okay, so if you've said it three times, the next time has to be, you have to create some sort of video or blog or create it in a different multimedia. I think of that same thing about professional development is that if I've made some sort of professional development um, course or if I've made some sort of professional development experience, the next obligation is to make that professional development experience again in a different modality. 
you know, if I've done it live, now I have to make a video of it. And then we have to talk about it on a podcast. And then I got to write about it so that people can experience it in the way that best meets their needs. You know, some people like listening, other people like reading. And I think that's a really important point is that, you know, we know that kids that we work with, they all have individual differences. So do adults. And some, you know, people like different mediums of information and consuming different kinds of, you know, different formats of information. Um, so I, I do the same thing. I'm like, okay, this was a blog post. Now let's make a video. Or I already made a video about this. Let's make a blog post. And I'll, I'll never forget this. I had a, a, a call with someone who was uh, I was working with for marketing, um, like how I market, you know, my brand and my business. And and she was like, you know, and I had all these ideas. And she kind of did a, you know, an autopsy. Well, that that insinuates that my website's dead. Uh, not an autopsy, an audit, if you will, um, an audit of my website. And she kind of looked at all the content, and you know, then we had a call, and she. I had all these ideas. I'm like, I was just spewing out so many different ideas for content. And she's like, you need to like squeeze every drip out of the content that you already have. Like you do not need to spend all this energy making more content. She's like, you have tons of content. You just need to start repurposing it and repackaging it. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting. And, you know, I guess because I, I just wrote a blog or I just made a video, I'm like, well, that content's done. I need to make other content. And the process of kind of making a video out of a blog and all those things, it makes you think, oh, well, you know, in the video, I can show this and I wasn't able to show it in the blog. Um, so you just kind of think through the lens of the different kind of modalities and it does, it changes the, the content slightly. Um, but I think it's really, it's a really good strategy. I love it. Now, so we, we talk about writing on blogs, but something else to write is reviews. Yes. And what's actually great is that we are at 60 reviews. So if you guys haven't heard about us talking at the very end of our episodes, we are trying to get to 100 reviews by 2019. And I'm really excited, guys, because I think we started with, what, like 30? So we've almost doubled our reviews. If I was running a marathon, I feel like I'm like halfway and I'm like, I can make it to the end. Um, so if you guys haven't already, please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. One of them I want to share because I think it's incredibly relevant. It's from a parent. Um, and because Dana is a parent, I thought, you know, why not share this amazing review? So it says, I listen to this on my exercise walks at night, which is supposed to be my time to decompress, but I get so excited about all the stuff that I hear. And I want to look up the references and tell everyone about all the information. It really helps to see the perspective of an SLP in all of this, as well as these resources. As a mother of a young user, it's pretty isolating and difficult to see the future. So it's really cool to hear about an AAC conference of adult users and all these interesting ideas about how to implement and how to coordinate with all all the providers, etc. I just love it. What an amazing review. I love hearing that we have parents listening out there because, you know, I know we have a lot of SLPs and um, professionals, but we really try to create content that is helpful to everybody, right? Because we know that, you know, it's not just SLPs that need to know this, it's parents and, and, you know, other professionals outside of the speech therapy world. So what a great review. That's so great. That's thank you. Whoever wrote that, thank you for writing that. And for all of you who have written reviews, thank you. And for all of you who are about to go write a review, thank you so much. So before we head into the interview with Dana Nieder, here's a quick message from Exceptional Ed.
Hey, Rachel, it's that time of year again. The ASHA convention's coming. I'm so excited to head to Boston, and you guys should come visit us. We're going to be at the Newsline booth, booth 331. Please come over and say hello to us. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to ASHA. I, I wish I was going, but if you're like me and you can't go, isn't there some sort of digital goodie bag? Yes. So beginning on November 15th until the end of the year, you can sign up for our ASHA goodie bag giveaway. And it's packed with all types of resources, checklists, how-tos from myself. Um, I have a, a resource that I'm giving away. Uh, Danielle Reed with Sublime Speech, Tracy Sipple, who is a telepractice expert, and many, many more. So go to exceptionaled.com backslash ASHA 18. Um, and everybody who signs up also gets access to Newsline's news, jobs, education, and blogs. So don't forget to sign up for your free goodie bag. The other exciting thing is that we're giving away a $100 Amazon gift card. So if you come visit us at the booth, we will ask you a simple question about how your experience is going at ASHA, and you will be entered to win our gift card. So you go to the Newsline booth, which is number 331, when you're at ASHA, and then you can sign up if you're not there to get the goodie bag, but you can also talk to the people there at the booth? Yes. So I'm actually going to be there for some of the conference, and we're going to be doing live interviews. So if you are our lucky winner, you get the Amazon gift card, and then I'm pretty sure that you're going to be featured on air on our podcast. That's awesome. So once again, that link is exceptionaled.com slash ASHA18. Well, welcome to Talking With Tech. Uh, my name is Chris Bouguet, and today I'm here with uh, someone that was very influential in my own practice. Uh, her name is Dana Nieder. Am I saying that right, Dana? Oh, it's Nieder. Nieder. Dana Nieder, right. So I, I, I'm going to mess it up. So Dana Nieder. So um, Dana, I, I said that you, you were very uh, in, instrumental in my own practice, and, and so I want to share kind of the story with you. Some of you hear that honk? Yeah. yeah. Or hearing a cheering us on with our the honk. Um, so Dana, I'm a speech language pathologist that has been working as an assistive technology person for, uh, at the time of this podcast, 16 years, right? I, I often say that I'm an uh, assistive technology person with a speech background as opposed to a speech therapist with an assistive technology background, right? Mm -hmm. um, and about six or seven years ago now, I was feeling like the way we were providing our assistive technology services specific to AAC I don't know, there was something off about what I was doing. It didn't feel right. Um, at that time, uh, high-tech AAC was right on the cusp of changing from being a, a small number of very expensive devices to a large number of less expensive devices. Still, in some people's minds, they would think it's very expensive, an iPad and an app. Some people will think that way, but when you put it in perspective of, you know, AAC and the whole breadth of AAC, it's very, it's an inexpensive solution for people. But at the time, six or seven years ago, uh, the way someone uh, would get an assistive technology device, specifically an AAC device, is that they would go through an evaluation, and I was often one of the people that was doing that evaluation. So an IEP team would meet, they would request an evaluation, I would come out. I would then uh, do the evaluation, which meant I would do an observation. I'd talk to the case manager. I would talk to the speech therapist. I would talk to the related service. Rarely, but sometimes we would talk to the parent as well. But usually we felt we, like we got that perspective from the case manager. Like, why, what are the parents thinking is what we'd sort of ask. 
but there was still something felt off about getting a, a communication device for somebody. And then I came across your blog post. I don't remember the exact title because I didn't go back and look it up, but what specifically was the, 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 the word that stuck out in my mind was beware of the gatekeepers. And I read this blog post. Remember, I'll never forget. It was probably like 11 or 1130 at night on my couch. <laughs> I'm through your, this blog post that you wrote. And I was like, yeah, that's me. I'm a gatekeeper. She's talking about me. And I got choked up when I was reading it because oh. I was like, that's not who I want to be. And that's not, that's not what I want to do. And the point of your, your blog post all those years ago was that there were these people that were sort of saying who deserves to have a communication device and who doesn't. They were gatekeeping because maybe they thought their their job was to protect the taxpayer money, like who who gets the devices and who doesn't. And so I, what I did is I took that blog post and I sent it out to the other my other teammates and I said, everyone read this because is this how you feel too? And, and it opened up a whole discussion for our team about what our role is. And of course, we all had varying roles and, and, and very varying viewpoints, you know, but it was really instrumental in my own practice saying, yeah, I'm not going to be that gatekeeper anymore. So I just want to say, start off with this whole interview with Miss me rambling about uh, gushing <laughs> over how your blog post really changed my perspective. So, so thank you. Thank you. So what's your story with AAC for the people that don't know? So my story with AAC is, I mean, I was just a science teacher, a middle school science teacher. I had no knowledge of speech or um, technology. I'm still not a very technological person other than like doing a hard reset. My tricks are really limited. But when my daughter was born in 2008, shortly thereafter, we realized she had some delays. And uh, around the time of her first birthday, we knew like they're not delays. This is a disability of some sort. It's more significant than just the kind of slow end of normal milestones. And she started early intervention. She had a whole bunch of tests and complicated medical background. Um, but by the time that she turned two, two and a half, she had been receiving services for over a year. I think she started speech around 10 months old, speech and feeding. And still no one had ever mentioned to us that there was anything more that we could do than just keep working on speech sound production. She wasn't able to imitate sounds. She really had two sounds. So we, we had really no expressive language at all. Uh, and it was in a parent support group meeting that somebody said, oh, you should go talk to the assistive technology guy. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> um, and uh, similar to you describing reading late at night, I think I was up that night after the meeting just feeling like the whole world was opening with every page that I clicked to and thinking, why has nobody said anything about this? How come nobody's mentioned this as the months and years have gone by without any sounds? And so when Maya, I kind of held off, let me think. We tried a few things at home. I downloaded some apps. I went to some kind of AAC introductory trainings as just a mom. And I was really holding on hope for preschool, thinking once she gets to preschool, they'll know what to do. Because mm -hmm. here in New York City, she went to a center-based school, lots of therapies, and I thought they'll be able to take care of it. I think the first week I met the speech pathologist and I said, 
hi, it's so nice to meet you. We want an AAC evaluation. And they were like, okay, great. <laughs> but it was through the evaluation process that I unfortunately realized that the system wasn't set up to believe the way that I had come to believe already. And so we kind of had a brief foray into trying to let the professionals do something before I said, okay, I take it back. I'm just going to figure it out on my own and we'll just do it our way. And luckily through the power of the internet and Twitter and having like access to professionals who were willing to help me figure it out from kind of around the world, I was able to do a lot of things on my own that I wouldn't have been able to do before social media and the wonderful world of the internet. Let's see. So that was probably around the time that I wrote that blog post that you're referencing. That was the end of Maya's preschool, I think. And I had been getting angrier and angrier. <laughs> You were you were feeling frustrated by this by the system. Is what I'm, I'm. I really was. I was so frustrated by the system, and not. I'd never. I mean, I shouldn't say never, but for the most part, I really felt like the people who I was frustrated with really thought that they were doing everything the right way. I mean, I didn't you know subscribe any malice to them. I, I thought they were doing their job the way that they understood they were supposed to do it and kind of following the rules and, and doing what needed to be done. But it just, in my opinion, it just all needed to change. This system of evaluating kids by kind of testing them and making them prove readiness in a two hour session or across two days, or it's just, it doesn't make sense for a device that's supposed to last for a year. It's not, it's just not meaningful. Or longer. Right? right. I mean, could, or maybe possibly someone's entire life, right? And you're, you're mm -hmm. trying to make a, uh, an assessment in, in a relatively quick amount of time. And, and, and like, like that gatekeeper's um, blog post mentioned, it's it, it sort of, I mean, the point of it was, are you try, trying to find a communication device or are you trying to prevent people from having a communication device? You know, the, the mentality that you need to try low tech first or that you need to, the student needs to prove themselves in some way in order to get a very robust system, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And the gatekeeper post, so we had one evaluation that kind of made us jump through some hoops and said, oh, she's not ready. We'll use this smaller like light tech device. Um, and don't worry, like that's only for a year and she'll be able to really grow into it. But then the field changed, more apps were released. We found Maya uses Speak for Yourself and she's used it since she's three. It's been a great fit for her. Um, and it was the following year that I just wanted to have her evaluation redone so that that would be, it would be documented on her IEP that she was using a high tech device prior to her entering kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And that was the evaluation when the evaluator said, you know, I really think she'd do better with something more simple. After she had been successful for a year using this device that she could really navigate quite well. And I think it was probably a day or two after that meeting that I wrote the post. So I was just, I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> right. So tell me what your experience has been since then. Because, I mean, when I think back to 2008 and 2010, right in those years, that's really when maybe I would say the shift in uh, in AAC has happened, you know. I think, you know, core vocabulary was still kind of a new concept for a lot of uh, teachers, definitely teachers, is still new to, to a lot of teachers, but I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a speech therapist that does hasn't at least heard the words core vocabulary now. Um, right then was when 
um, more and more, like you said, Speak for Yourself came out, Lamp Words for Life came out, uh, Prolo Quo had been out, and now there's even more. And so, uh, like I said, the, the, po- the, the price point has come way down. What, what, what is your experience since then? So my experience since then, that's a good question. Um, things, have, things have changed for us. Part of the changes that have happened for us have been um, that as Maya has become more of an independent user, there's a little bit less urgency on me to do so much all the time. So whereas in the beginning, you know, I think for most parents of children who use devices, Uh, especially when the parents are kind of the driving force behind the AAC use. There's so much worry about whether carryover is going to happen at school, which I know is kind of the opposite of (laughs) that a lot of speech therapists deal (laughs) with. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think most speech therapists are like, no, we're trying to do it at school and getting the carryover at home is what's hard. Yeah. No, as a family who who kind of drove that bus on our own and got the device, um, I was always concerned with, are they gonna use this at school? Uh, Are they gonna take the time to figure out how to use it? So right in the beginning of the year, I would go in and do like a very small training for the classroom staff. And then I try to meet with the speech language pathologist and do a training there. Um, When she was in preschool, I was making modified materials. So I was making like word maps and I would say, send home the book you're gonna do and I'll put words, I'll cue it up for you. And, um, and so now Maya's 10, she's really able to handle herself. <laughs> um, if she wants to show them where a word is, she will. Uh, more likely she will not show them because she doesn't want to, but that's also her choice. Um, and so there's a little bit less urgency for me. And I think also as she's gotten older, this is just a, something that she has all the time. It's not optional. The people at school are used to seeing it with her. So all of that kind of fear, is this going to get left on a shelf? Is this going to get taken away by somebody who doesn't know better? Um, it's a lot less scary as the years go by. So You're past all that. You're past yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask, how do you think you got past that? And let me, and let me preface that by saying, like, you said you did a lot of work at home. And so uh, you, you mentioned that one strategy there specifically were the, the word maps, right? Can you describe that a little bit more? What is a word map for parents that are like, uh, what's that? Oh, well, for us, it was a way for the teachers to kind of see how to find the words that were relevant to their activities. And honestly, it's probably a little bit obsolete now because most of the apps have pretty good word finders in them or search features, depending on which system you're in and what it's called. But back then, the search features weren't so great. And so I would spend a lot of time at home kind of taking screenshots and pasting them into books to say like, oh, you're reading, you know, brown bear. Here's where you find brown. I'll glue the icon sequence in so you can find it. Um, So I was just trying to make everything as easy as possible for anyone who wasn't me. Like, let me do all of the heavy lifting so that all that you have to do is kind of the more rewarding part of like getting to use this with her and seeing how cool it is. And I think still now that's kind of my big um, philosophy when it comes to families and professionals partnering is whoever the person is, who's kind of driving the bus, you've got to do 90% of the work, like until you get buy-in, you just have to make it so that it's almost harder for somebody not to use it and then have to admit to you they didn't use it (laughs) instead of for them to have to really do anything complicated to incorporate it at all. 
so how do you do that? I mean, how, how, what is, when you say 90% of the work, what, what is, what is the work? You know, like you said, making the word map is one strategy. Um, I know from reading blog posts beyond just that gatekeeper one, you modeled the heck out of things, right? I mean, that has been your mantra on your blog is model, 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 right? What, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth there, but I, that's just my impression from reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly, uh, certainly, especially at home, um, you know, on the blog, I did a 21 day model challenge at one point. And it really changed stuff for us too. I just thought it'd be something good to do for like my online community, get everybody engaged. And I was like, no, like I'm carrying this around every day again. I mean, at this point, you know, it's five or six years into Maya's AAC use. And so there are definitely days that she, she has more verbal speech now and there are definitely days where it just kind of sits. Um, and so forcing myself to really pick it up and have it with me all the time, wow modeling makes a huge difference for like obviously but um even for people who are kind of old hats at it to pick it up and use it more again i was like wow i didn't realize i forgot where a bunch of words are and but look we haven't added things in a while and um so yeah modeling is a big one but i think that the type of support specifically or the type of work kind of depends on who you are are you a parent are you a speech therapist or your teacher who are you trying to support? Um, the same thing. And, uh, and what is their level of comfort? Are they a beginner? Are they have kind of in the middle? Are they advanced? Um, and I think that based on kind of those factors, there's really different specific concrete support that can be provided. So like, for instance, you mentioned brown bear as a strategy. So if you were brand new and had never really used a communication device, you're a, a teaching assistant in the classroom, but you're a, a, the parent may have provided the, the word map for you for brown bear. And you say, let's explicitly do this, you know, just do this reading activity. Is that sort of an example where someone who has more experience, you don't have to give them that sort of uh, uh, materials. I don't know. Is that Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that in terms of concrete support. But I kind of think you almost need to rewind a little bit because before you can say to somebody like, here are some specific activities you can do, you have to like get them to want it so bad. <laughs> um, when I, I talked uh, recently, I got to speak at AAC in the cloud and I presented on, on kind of this, this teamwork and how the leader can kind of support. And the first step that I that I had in like kind of my framework was investing at every level, whether you're a beginner, you're intermediate or you're advanced, you have to get investment from the people that you're trying to team up with. And I think that the investment can be broken down into like perceiving that something could happen. So for a beginner, it's really easy. Like you have to see, um, see that there's a need for something, right? So perceiving that there's a need. There's a need for us to use a system because we don't have enough speech. And then you have to believe that it can happen. And once you have the perception and the belief that it's possible, that's where I think investment just happens naturally. And then if you're gonna take that further, if you go to somebody who's maybe an intermediate user, they need to perceive that they're not at the end of the road. So maybe you have like a lot of words and you have a lot of comments throughout the day. Well, it's time for you to see what's missing. Are you missing a level of questioning? Are you missing some sort of pragmatic exchanges that you could target more effectively? And then again, you need to believe that the child that you're working with or your student 
um, is capable of continuing to develop in their AAC use. And I think kind of at every level, that investment is the first part because telling people, here's an activity, you can do this is, I mean, maybe, but it's not gonna translate into long-term anything. Uh, you and I would be best friends in real life because um, <laughs> let me just tell you that, that that's exactly how I start all of my presentations is like people wanna come in and they think we're gonna talk about core vocabulary or selecting a device or something like that. And the first like half hour is all about exactly the, the well, I have this thing called the necessary components of successful AAC. And the first next necessary component is believe they will. And it's all about the presuming potential. And, and I love what you said about the need and the way you described it is so perfect. It's like, okay, once you've met that need, then what's the next need? And then mm -hmm. once you met that need, what's the next need? I, I, I can also remember again, uh, again, I know I'm fanboying out here a little bit, but <laughs> one of your, one of your quotes either on social media or was, what was the last day you stopped learning language? You no, know, like what's the last word you learned? Because there's always more, words to learn you know you never stop at any age so you can't say someone's 21 or 22 and ah, they're too old for it to learn a communication device like no that's that's right that's bonkers you got to keep going and there's a need there and keep teaching it right right and it keeps going i mean still like maya is is a capable aac user and honestly over the past years her verbal speech has developed more and she's kind of hit her preteen attitude she's like kind of like, no, I don't want to. Um, and I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm sure this is a phase, you know, well, I kind of need to up my modeling a little bit, but, um, but I know she can come back to it. But I still think all the time about how much further she could go. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and when I see the most fluent adult users, it's amazing that they're amazing communicators. And I, I think that that's also something important that sometimes is lacking, even from speech therapists who are like really passionate about um, AAC use and, and implementing it with young clients. Like they need to watch some adult AAC communicators and they need to really see what they're working towards because it's easy to kind of get lost in the day to day and, and feel like, okay, look, we did it. We've got these great sentences, um, but you know, you gotta aim high. Yeah, I, again, that is such excellent advice. And it's something that I've tried to challenge myself with is um, spend as much time with people who have come out the back end being successful users, because you can learn so much from, from that. And like you said, give you a perspective. Uh, it's sad because there's not enough. You're like, we've been doing this podcast for a year and I think we've had two users, uh, you know, as guests, because I'm sure there's more out there, you know, it's just hard to find them. And then there's that whole thing of like, uh, okay, just because you are a successful user, it doesn't mean you're obligated to teach anyone else. Do you know what I mean? You, you, it's like being good at basketball yeah. doesn't mean you have to be a basketball coach. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're good at it and you, get, you put the time in and practice and now you get to live your life, you know? So it can be hard to find those, the, those people, but you got to seek them out and you got you to spend time with them so you can have this perspective that we're talking about. That, that's mm -hmm. awesome. So going back to AAC in the cloud, you had talked about like building a team and being a leader of the team. What else did you talk about at that conference? I kind of went through, let me think, what else did I talk about? I, I talked kind of specifically about each one of those levels with the, the beginning users, uh, and kind of not really beginning users, beginning team, intermediate team and advanced team, the team that's supporting those different um, AAC users and kind of work through 
what I thought of as like a four part framework at each stage, which was the investing that we talked about, then empowering the person. So first get them invested, then empower them by making them feel like they're able to do it. I think a lot of that comes from watching videos because I was really intimidated by the idea of modeling. Um, like almost like analysis to paralysis, like what like what verb tense do I model? What if I wanna say goes, but I have go open? Do I need to, you know, every little detail felt make or break when you're trying to teach language. And when I was doing this, I since then I've gotten a, a degree in speech language pathology, but back then I was a former science teacher. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing other than really wanting to do a good job. And so, uh, but watching videos online, and now there's so many more, but I just found videos of modeling and I was like, oh, like it's just like talking and pushing the button, I can do that. Right. <laughs> um, that can happen. Uh, and so investing, empowering, valuing the team member, which I think can be challenging. And I think almost it can be more challenging the longer you're in the field, if you're, kind of have had a lot of parent, if, as a professional, if you've struggled to get families involved um, and you feel like you have another family that's not really getting involved, it's easy to come in and be like, oh, this is happening again, mm -hmm. um, rather than really listening because wow, families have a lot going on. Um, and then also providing that specific support at each stage after you've kind of listened and figured out what would make this easiest for the person that I'm trying to get on board and then trying to provide those things. So during the talk um, and the PowerPoint and the uh, videos all online at the AAC and the cloud website, um, but I spoke kind of specifically about how to support people at each level. You know, I, maybe a way to think of that is there's that uh, old probability thing where you like uh, you flip a coin, you flip a coin, you think you think every time you flip a coin, it keeps coming up heads that the next one's going to be heads. But the chances are that every time it's still 50-50 what it's going to turn out to be. And so maybe that's a perspective that we can have. It's like, oh, like you said, here's another parent or here's another family that I'm going to tell them you should be model and here's some videos and let me show you how to do it. And they're not going to do it. And then get frustrated and, and to the point where you are uh, like Spider-Man. You're 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 precogging. You're thinking beforehand what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Your spidey sense is going off, going, yeah, this family's not going to do it. So I'm not even going to give them the resources. I'm not even going to try. But it's like flipping the coin. You have to remember this is a new family with a new set of circumstances, and they they might they might be the family that that does it. You know, and if yeah. they don't, what can you do differently, right, to help mm -hmm. support them? Right. And there's families that are, uh, that was another thing that I discussed actually was kind of the reasons that families might be resistant or, or hesitant, because uh, it could really be either. And I think those are also two very different things to get on board. Um, and it's not without meaning, you know, families and speech language pathologists, we all want to support this child in becoming the most effective communicator that they can be. And so I think that families really struggle with a lot of different challenges that maybe um, would be difficult for some professionals to imagine. So some of them would be, a lot of families are provided with misinformation and <laughs> sometimes by professionals, um, such as, you know, your child really has to use all of these, they have to get to, you know, level four with the picture cards before we can transition. And so then if a new person is saying, I really think they should have a device, 
well, if you had a longer relationship with the person who is telling you they're not ready yet, and this new person comes in and says, let's get them on a device, that's really confusing. And and I think above all, parents are worried about doing the wrong thing. And when there's conflicting advice, it's really difficult to, to figure out. Yeah, that can be so difficult. Well, hopefully there's less people that feel that way now. And I know they're still out there because I have conversations with them um, out in the world. Mm -hmm. I was just presenting at a conference recently and the per during a break, the person, a person, a professional called me over and said, are you saying maybe we don't do picture exchange? And I was like, no, I'm not saying maybe don't. I'm saying don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, yes. I, is there some part of my presentation that I thought like it was confusing? Because I thought <laughs> clearly, no, I'm saying you start with, start with robust and, and model. And, yeah. And uh, if there's some reason not to do that, be explicit why you're not doing that, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that is such a good perspective that if you had such a long relationship with a previous person or you're getting misinformation or you're getting conflicting information, how do you know what the right thing to do is, you know? Right. Or like we said before, I think that especially parents, they don't know what AAC is supposed to look like. So do they think that it's, it's just going to be, you know, like pressing cookie and giving your child a cookie? Because that might not seem like any more communication than the child taking them to the cookie box and pointing to it. So I think we, as we're thinking about making sure that as professionals in the AAC field that we are trying to seek out advanced AAC users, we also have to make sure that we're sharing some of these stories and videos with families so that they see what um, autonomous, independent AAC use can look like as an end goal. Yeah, there's this feeling maybe that you're not alone out there and you can do it together. And if you're part of a community of people that are trying to figure this out together as mm -hmm. well, right? Your blog, for instance, is is was an example of that. You know, you could go and you could uh, read whatever another story of another parent, another family is doing, and you could say, well, that family is sort of like my family, so maybe I can do what they're doing, right? Is that kind of mm -hmm. what you're getting at? Yeah, and I do, I think that the same way that um, I think it's really important for people who use AAC to um, find a community of other people who use AAC, because I think that that's um, a common, like, cultural kind of reality like that is a you know Maya is an AAC user and she's primarily not a speaker and and so she has more in common with that community than I have in with her in that regards um, and it's important for her to get to know people in that community through camps or through programs um, and similarly I think it's important for families to be able to connect with other AAC families to understand what this looks like and yes we have the same challenges and keep going and you know to encourage each other and to push each other when we need to be pushed and also to kind of pat each other on the back when the road feels long. Are there any specific you know groups or resources that that have helped you over the years or that you participate in that you would recommend to families like you should definitely get into this community if you can. Um, I try to seek out the communities um, where I feel like there's a mix of voices. Um, so, uh, I like the kind of, um, a lot of the different apps, the speak for yourself users group happens to be very active and also happens to have a mix of people who are on many different systems, even though it's called speak for yourself users group. Um, and so that's, that's one of my favorite Facebook groups. Um, there's also a kind of a new to me group anyway called ask me i'm an aac user and so i value those voices so highly um 
And that's one of the things that I actually like about the community that tends to follow our blog too, is I feel like when I post something, I'm seeing professionals, I'm seeing parents, I'm seeing other therapists and teachers. Uh, I mean, in terms of the professional pages, obviously things like Practical AAC, things like your podcast and Lauren Enders and Rachel Langley and kind of like kind of the hit list of people that you guys have had on the podcast. <laughs> but in terms of communities, I like the ones that don't feel like echo chambers. You know, I want to hear a lot of voices. Yeah, different perspectives. Uh, yeah. I often fear that too, that you could, um, you, you wrap yourself in this bubble and then you think you're doing the right thing all the time because you're just talking to all the same people that have the same perspectives of you as you. Right. So you have to get out there and hear those other perspectives and, it, and have an open mind to them so that you can say, okay, is this something I'm doing right? You know, maybe I am a gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> if you don't <laughs> do that, you, you just think you're right all the time and you keep patting yourself on the back. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's cool to challenge yourself. Plus, like you said, different voices from different perspectives, not just people who think differently than you, but who are coming from different perspectives. The parents, doctors, uh, occupational therapists, speech therapists, um, mm -hmm. teachers, because uh, then they can all, you can all get a better picture of, of how it can work. So back in the day when you were first modeling and, and first implementing the device, uh, speak for yourself, I mean, did you have like a specific way of doing it? Like what I mean is some people try and follow like a word of the week, you know, or words of the week, you know, this week we're going to practice in and out and next week we're going to practice up and down. Or was it more naturalistic, like just around the house where I just modeled whenever I could? What, what was that experience like for you? It was definitely more naturalistic. I know like practical AAC has these great like core words of the month and like the year of core words. Um, now, I don't know if they did back then or if I just wasn't aware of it. Um, this was back like 2012 was when we started, basically the first week of 2012. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of just started with a small group of words that I thought made sense. And when I look back now at some of the stuff that I wrote a long time ago, it, I'm really glad that I wrote it and I can look back on it now that I have the speech language degree. <laughs> Because when I look back, I think, wow, she knew a lot as a mom. And I don't, I think that if it wasn't documented as the years go by, I would somehow start to think that I learned that stuff at school. Um, and so I just wanted to add that in to make the point that I look back and I wish that I wish that the blog page would like change color when I started the master's degree so that you would know like anything before this point was just a mom because parents can do so much. And now I've kind of forgotten what I was <laughs> talking about before that. Oh, we were talking about modeling. So yes, our modeling was pretty naturalistic. We started with a small group of words and they were good words, eat, drink, help, um, uh, more. I think we had please and thank you in there, which I know are kind of debatable but uh, they were important to us, so we had them. And one of the nice things about Speak For Yourself was that there is that babble button. So Maya was able to kind of unlock all of the words herself and poke around in them. And the beauty of letting a child have access to so many words was that it kind of released me from a little bit of the pressure of making the decisions of what to unlock next because she found weather and she would go back to it over and over again and so then i was able to unlock the weather words um, and make sure that she had access to them and 
I didn't really understand the power of that feature until she started exploring it and, and showed me how powerful it could be. Uh, oh my gosh. So I, there's two things there I want to touch upon. The, the first one that you said, the, the power of babbling and discovering words. Um, part of the presentations that I do, sometimes I do this activity about the, we call it the least restrictive option, or I call it the least restrictive option, which is, and then I pose the question to the audience or the participants. I say, okay, which is the least restrictive option? Locking words out, like masking words, and then when a student's ready for those words, unmasking them, or keeping the system as open as possible, um, even though there might be words on there that the student will never use, and people, it might be too visually cluttered for them, you know, and when we have a discussion about it, and I often say, like, I tell a story about this one boy who, you know, they, they did do a, a word of the week sort of strategy where it was like, okay, we're going to do up and down. We're going to do in and out. And one day this boy comes in and he's like, play. And he goes over to get the puzzle and he presses play, play, play. And the teacher and the speech therapist look at each other like, did you teach him play? Did you teach him play? How did he learn play? It's like, well, because receptively he knew what the word play was. And then when he babbled and play, met, played around on his device and stumbled across mm -hmm. that word, uh, you know, not even consciously, but I, I paint the picture like it's conscious. He went, oh, I know what that word is. I know how to, how, what it means. And now I can use it. But if we had locked the device down and kept the words, you know, only until he was ready, until we thought he was ready, then how would he ever surprise us that way? Mm -hmm. Which sounds like what happened with weather for your daughter. You know what I mean? It's just like... Yeah. Uh, you didn't make me prove that I need to know what weather is. I discovered it on my own, and then we started using it, and now that's stuff yeah. I talk about, right? Um, right. So there's that that whole point. But then the, the whole other point that you mentioned that I want to come back to is the whole idea that parents are experts. You know what I mean? And that it's not necessarily some doctor that knows what to do or a, someone who has got a speech-language degree that knows what to do especially in today's day and age, you can really educate yourself. You can take a leadership role and, and, and find everything you need to find. It's out there. It's certainly helpful. It's a catalyst if you have a, uh, a professionals that can help you along. But, um, but the, you are the master of your own domain there. It's not like the old days where you'd have to be get the right book or something. You know what I mean? There's just a plethora of information out there that can steer you in the right direction for free. You know, the, the only issue would be time. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it was back in 2012, there there were even more limited resources than there are now. But now there's so many Facebook groups and there's a podcast and there's so many pages. I, I mean, back then I was like voraciously reading everything that Carol and Robin would put out on Practical AAC, like hanging on their every word because they were there. Um, and there were a few others that were out there. And then people who would help um, on I, Twitter, which I hardly use at all anymore, but I remember being like, you have to learn Twitter because people respond to tweets. They might not respond to an email, but they respond to tweets because it's quick. And, and the community is really amazing. I think that people, especially, um, especially if they can feel it's a family who's trying to find their own way because they have to, or a professional who is trying to learn to be a better professional and support their clients, people are willing to help. You know, you ask a question and somebody will answer you or send you a resource or direct you to a link. The information is out there. And 
when families are driven, they often will come into a school or come into a meeting um, with a pretty good idea of what they want and why they want it. And I think in a situation like that, the most important thing for the professionals to do is really listen first because the families are there forever and the professionals are there for maybe a year or so. Um, And so you know, their role really should be more of a coach and a facilitator and less of like, okay, let me take the reins and see what I can make happen. Yeah, really empower the family to take the reins rather than take it away from them and say, we're going to do it. I couldn't agree more. Dana, just to finish up here, because I want, I know I've taken up a lot of your time, so I appreciate you. And I know listeners, Dana is doing this with a sore throat and sick. She still came on. She's a trooper. Um, let, let me just finish up with the idea, this, this question that, um, what made you want to start the blog? Well, first, tell, let's, let's tell everyone know what the blog is, because there's probably people going, Chris, will you just ask her already? What's, what is her blog? I don't know what it is. So you tell us about that and why you started it and what it has meant to you. Sure. The blog is called Uncommon Sense, although I think technically the website is probably neaterfamily.blogspot, maybe. I don't know. It's a really old, just like simple blogging platform. But if you Google Uncommon Sense Maya, you'll find it. Um, The Facebook page is much more active these days than the actual blog is. But I started blogging just because I was pregnant and my sister lives a few states away and I wanted her to see the nursery and baby pictures and just um, have an easy way to share with my family. And then it kind of turned into like, okay, well, we're dealing with some delays and here's the update from the doctor's appointment and the therapies. Uh, And then it just kind of kept evolving into uh, a place where I was sorting out my thoughts. I was kind of processing appointments and situations. And then over time, it kind of became more of a split of like, sometimes I'm processing and kind of writing would kind of give me a little bit of a distance. So say the gatekeepers, I just knew I was frustrated and things weren't working, but it's when I sat down and kind of wrote it out that it made sense to me. Here's the problem that I'm seeing. Here's what people should do about it. Here's how I'm going to move forward from this frustrating experience and what what I would want to say to myself if I came across it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it, then it became also kind of writing what I wish I could have read a lot as I became more able to like make a quick activity to do, you know, like, well, let me share that and let me make a book to go with it and share that too, because it's, I can see it more easily now. And in the beginning, this would have taken me forever. So let me help parents by trying to think of the things that would have helped myself if I had read them or saw them Um, and kind of building community too, like the 21 day modeling challenge and just wanting to help my former self, I think. I think I really do. I write the stuff that I wish I could have found when I needed a hand. You know, I think in today's day and age, this might be my own little soapbox here, but um, social media kind of gets a bad rap that, uh, you know, the president tweeted and now we all have to have this conversation about it, you know, and our celebrity did this on, on, on social media or it's sucking up all of our time and it often shies away from the awesome stories that you're telling, our perspectives, these communities are forming that otherwise would not have existed in today, you know, it exists now because you can, mm-hmm. you can 
get people from all over the world to have these shared perspectives and share stories with each other, empower each other to make change in their life that they might not have otherwise done. So thank you for spending the time doing that. I, um, <laughs> I, like I said, I know it changed my, my life and my practice, and I know it's changed others as well. So thank you very much. I said that was going to be the last question, but I have one more. <laughs> what's next for you with your AAC journey? What, like you said, what's the next need? But what, is there something you're curious about or you're thinking about with AAC? Well, I think there's a few different questions in there. So kind of like, what's next for AAC? Like, well, for my personal family, which is kind of how this started for us, um, you know, Maya has kind of moved from being an alternative communicator um, to being an augmentative communicator. And that's proving much more difficult for us than I anticipated. Um, using AAC when you don't have another way of communicating was very natural. And using it um, to supplement or clarify her speech is she's not as interested in participating. And so I'm kind of having to think for my family, like, okay, well, let's let's try to start this part of the journey. Like, let's see what this is going to look like and how do we do that. For me, in terms of like being out there doing AAC stuff and connecting with other um, professionals, I just finished, I mean, I say just, I graduated in May with my master's degree. And so I'm looking ahead. I'm just starting, I took the summer off and I'm just starting to look for um, a clinical fellowship position and finish up the the long journey towards being licensed. Um, and yeah, I love, I really enjoy thinking about this partnership between parents and professionals. And I think because I've kind of straddled this triangle that I, I was a classroom teacher, I am an AAC parent, and now I'm becoming a speech language pathologist. Um, I, I just really think that each part of that triangle has such unique strengths um, and, and is able to kind of access and support an AAC user in a really unique set of circumstances and ways. And, and I, I'm really interested in trying to figure out the best way to strengthen that triangle in order to really facilitate the generalization and independence of um, AAC communication. Awesome. Yeah, you do have all these different perspectives that you can tie together for people. So that's fantastic. So uh, best of luck. Congratulations. And uh, I know you're going to do great. Uh, uh, I know we will follow up and find out, you know, what happens with your journey as far as uh, your CFY where you, and where you end up as uh, getting a, a job. That is fantastic. Dana, thank you. thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and for participating in the interview and for the blog and for everything else. Really, thank you. This has been great, and I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast, too. I probably won't listen to this because my scratchy, cold voice will bother me too much, but, but I really enjoyed all the other interviews, and I'm so glad I'm a podcast person, and it's great to have an AAC one out there. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. Well, that was an amazing interview with Dana Nieder. What a inspiring, inspiring mom. I just love hearing the parent perspective. And I think it's like I already said, very valuable. And I'm just so excited that she was able to come on and you were able to talk to her. Yeah, I hope, I hope that people who listen to this will go back and share this episode with other parents. This parent went through what you were going through. Go back and read her blogs. And you know, it's really inspirational that way. And really, there's a, there's a spirit of you can do it, you know. So speaking of you can do it, you're going to ASHA, right? People are going to ASHA? 
Yep, I can do it, and I'm going to do it. I, um, I'm going to ASHA, which I'm really excited about. Lucas is going to be there, too. We're going to really miss you, Chris. I um, know. I wish I could be there. <laughs> one day, the trio will be together live in real life. Um, but yeah, Asha's coming up and I'm presenting on autism and AAC and also going to be on a panel, which is really exciting, but we're going to be doing lots of really amazing things for talking with tech. So one of those things, which I'm pumped for is we're going to be doing live interviews. So we're going to be gathering all of the amazing speakers and just like doing quick interviews at our booth, which is gonna be at the Newsline booth at the exhibition hall. So definitely stay tuned. We're gonna post on social media and our Facebook group about when we're gonna be going live. Um, so even if you can't go to ASHA, you can sort of go to ASHA. Hey, so Rachel, when you're there at ASHA and people come visit you at the booth, you can show them how to subscribe. They can, you can show them right on the podcast app, like here's, a, here's how you hit the subscribe button so you never miss uh, a future content. Exactly. And I'm definitely going to be doing that. That's a really great idea, Chris. I'm going to be heckling people to subscribe and to rate us on iTunes so that we get to our goal of 100 reviews by 2019. Just in case people don't know, I mean, hopefully people know this, but if they don't know, subscribing is free. It's not like subscribing to a magazine where you have to like pay a, a monthly fee or subscribing to Netflix where it's $12 a month. Subscribing to podcasts is free. This podcast is free. So please share it out, subscribe, and show other people how to subscribe. So for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Chris Bouguet. We will talk to you guys next week.